Here at the Sociology of Everything podcast, we acknowledge the people of Ghana Yarta, whose land this episode was mainly produced on, and whose past and present elders we pay our respects to. Hi, I'm Eric Sue. And I'm Louis Everest. And we're Lou and the Sue, and this is the Sociology of Everything podcast, brought to you by UniSA, the university that keeps giving us courses to teach. <laughs> <laughs> Louis, you've just been given some courses to coordinate. How are you finding it? Well, teaching period hasn't started quite yet, so uh, come back to me in a month or so <laughs> as I slowly become older and more haggard. <laughs> right now, it's exciting. It's always it's always good getting your hands on a new course and having a look at what's there and what you can add and putting your little spin on it, I think. So yeah. looking forward to it. And it's interesting because you've worn many hats in this profession we call teaching. You've been a tutor. Mm-hmm. You've done lectures. Mm-hmm. And now you're doing course coordinating. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and this actually leads us to talk about the subject matter of this episode. We're going to examine another key idea by our good friend, Emil Durkheim, who we've talked about in previous episodes. Mm, so this is our, our trifecta of Durkheim, isn't it? This is our third episode oh. about an idea of Emil Durkheim's. And we're going to look at his noted work, The Division of Labor in Society. Doesn't exactly sound all that appealing. Doesn't exactly excite one's senses, <laughs> I think, when someone hears the title of that text. But it's actually a very fascinating work. This is actually Durkheim's PhD thesis. <laughs> if it was anything like our theses, Louis, he was probably like typing behind a computer mm. anxiously. <laughs> In your case, he probably was drinking a large thermos of instant coffee. Is that right? Oh, it was disgusting. It, it, you know, it's more the flavor that keeps you awake. <laughs> <laughs> the large thermos of Nescafe gold. <laughs> by the way, can I just say we haven't been sponsored anyway by no. we haven't been sponsored by anyone yet. <laughs> no, yeah. but you know, Nescafe, give me a call. www.sociologypodcast.com. Get us get in touch. I didn't just say your flavor kept me awake. But this work is quite fascinating in that it presents a really interesting theory of how modern societies work, what's distinctive about them. But more than that, I think it's a way for us to discuss how sociological theories are developed, how they're received, and how they sometimes find resonance in the contemporary era and sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. What's this text all about, Louis? What What is he trying to argue here? What's the main subject matter of this work? Well, this text is a study by Durkheim, like you said, his PhD work. Uh, by the way, he's probably picked up a few more citations. Uh, <laughs> in our, our PhD thesis, yeah, I, I would hazard because that's, that's the case. The, uh, well played to him. But essentially what he's looking at is what holds society together, yeah. what, what he refers to as social solidarity. Uh, by social solidarity, Durkheim says, and I quote, the general tendency to sociability, a tendency which is always and everywhere the same and is not related to any particular social type. 
So Durkheim's referring to that thing that exists that makes us want to enter into business relations with one another, that makes us want to congregate and do things together, the kind of glue that exists yeah. in society. And what he's particularly interested in is how this is potentially changing, how mm. the type of social solidarity that exists in society is changing and changing in response to something that's really prominently occurring around the start of modernity, and that's this increasing division of labor. Yeah. So he's trying to make sense of the modern world in this work, that a key aspect of it is how advanced the division of labor is. What does the division of labor refer to? Well, simply put, the division of labor, and this kind of goes back to that uh, transition into the content today that you're talking about when I was wearing multiple hats in my lecturing (laughs) or in my teaching, is that the division of labor is the separation of jobs into more specific and individual tasks. So, you know, he's not the only sociologist to be interested in this. We can think about Marx's work when he looks at factories and looks at how people don't often produce entire items start to finish. Yeah, that's right. And that they're increasingly having to do just one small part of the production process. The labor of producing something is separated into lots of small jobs that people do in a very specific way. Like just take any random item in a supermarket. Mm -hmm. It would be shocking to me if there was a single person that made every aspect of the item you purchase when you go to a supermarket, Mm. right? Like even like Vegemite, Mm. the person making the actual item itself isn't probably also making like the jar, Mm. <laughs> right? They're just yeah. responsible. And in fact, they could even be part of just one part of the pro- overall process. Yeah. They are mm. tasked with the responsibility of making sure that it comes out the same color. Mm. And this whole process is further exacerbated, Durkheim says, because it's not just like there's a division of labor in the production of each item, but there's also increasingly more and more items being produced so that instead of just a single spread being produced for the population, everyone must eat Vegemite, suddenly there's all these different types of breakfast spreads being produced. There's a great quote here where it refers to the division of labor stating that not only are occupations separated and specialized ad infinitum, within factories, but each product is itself a specialty which presupposes others. So there's this rapid division of the production processes behind everything, but also the number of products being developed in society. So he argues that modern societies are characterized by an extremely advanced division of labor. Yeah. And it's not just obviously in the production of things. It's also in all aspects of our lives. All aspects of our lives. It's across the way governments run. It's across the way services are provided. It's everything's getting increasingly specialized. And an example he gives a lot, which is quite interesting, is about scientific disciplines and how once upon a time, everything was (laughs) philosophy. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And then over time, the disciplines got more and more specialized to the point where you can study all sorts of micro things yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, I'd be amazed. I mean, you couldn't get away now at university just saying you're a scientist. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, what does Louis do? Yeah. He's a scientist. Yeah. Uh, can you be more specific than that? No, he's just he's just a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be super weird. Uh, it'd make it easier. You know, you get a lot of questions. He does when science. You say, yeah. <laughs> I'm a sociologist or I'm a this type of sociologist. Yeah, and it's not even just, yeah, that you're yeah. a sociologist. Sociologist, yeah. you have to specialize in the field of sociology yeah. to establish any credibility. Mm. Yeah. So how does this then impact upon the ways people relate with one another? How does this impact upon social solidarity? Well, that is really the heart of what Durkheim's analyzing here, right? Because what he says is that 
there's a kind of more traditional form of social solidarity that exists. Yeah. And that form of social... Pre-modern form. Yeah, pre-modern form. And that form of social solidarity sort of relies on people being quite similar to one another. It relies on them doing similar things and seeing the world in a similar way. Hmm. But we can see straight away that this division of labour and division of everything is kind of pushing against that. It's making everyone more individual. We might not do the same things on a daily basis and that might impact how we see the world and what we value and don't value. Hmm. So it's this shift in people becoming more individual, but society still holding together that he's really interested in. Mm. How does social solidarity survive the division of labor? Yeah. So in societies with low levels of specialization, in societies where the division of labor isn't very advanced, Durkheim believes people relate to one another in a different way than they do in the modern world. So he develops a number of terms to capture his thinking here. He believes pre-modern societies have what's come to be known as a mechanical form of social solidarity. Mm. What does mechanical solidarity signify for Durkheim? So mechanical solidarity signifies a form of solidarity that's based on likeness. Yeah. It's based on everyone being the same, thinking the same way, having a strong what he refers to as collective consciousness. If we think about our who we are, our identities, our consciousness, there's a small part of it that's unique to you. It's just Eric. I mean, with you, it's probably a very big part <laughs> of your consciousness <laughs> because you're a very unique and amazing person. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. <laughs> but for some people, uh, Trump might describe them as sheeple. <laughs> they're sad people. They're sheeples. Uh, that part of your identity that you share with everyone in your country or your group or whatever it is, because yeah. you can have it with whatever group you're a member yeah. of, that part is your collective consciousness. And mechanical solidarity is based on that. Mm. And it's mechanical because it's like a machine. It's predictable. Everyone acts in the same way. Everyone yeah. responds to an, a, a stimulus in the same way because they all have the same collective consciousness. Yeah, and this relates to a low level of division of labor because if people are more or less doing the same thing, if they are all facing in the same direction, you'd expect them to have a similar mindset. A similar understanding of the world, a similar experience of the world. I mean, it's basic sociology, isn't it? We're sculpted by our experiences. We're shaped by the interactions we have in, in through our life. So mm -hmm. Durkheim would suggest then that if we all have similar interactions and experiences, we're all shaped in a similar way. I will say, though, one of the confusing things about this text is that he associates mechanical yeah. forms of solidarity with pre-modern worlds, yeah. even though oftentimes people associate machines with the modern world. I was going to bring that up. How many first-year students <laughs> get confused with that uh, that term? Because they do think, quite naturally think, oh, hang on, modernity, the development of factories and machines, yeah. science being used in the workplace, surely mechanical is the more modern form. Yeah. But no, mechanical is the pre-modern form of solidarity. And he contrasts this then with the solidarity that's found in the modern world. And he calls that form of solidarity organic. What is the organic form of social solidarity? Well, the difference between mechanical and organic solidarity is organic solidarity isn't based on likeness. It's not mm. based on that part of you that is 
collective consciousness with everyone around you. Mm. In fact, it's based on the opposite. It's based on your uniqueness. It's based on you being different from people around you. Um, because as people became increasingly different, as, as jobs became increasingly specialized, yep. what began to happen is people had to start to rely on those around them. That's right. If you no longer did the entire farming process and grew your own food that you could eat at your own table and instead you just did one small part of that farming process, yeah. maybe you grew the wheat but then someone else turned that wheat into flour and someone else turned yeah, that flour right. into bread, that's then right. all of a sudden you needed those other people to be around. You yeah. needed to interact with them. Yeah. Like if you're a beet farmer, <laughs> can you survive just on beets? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You'd get pretty sick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like your solution to everything would be you know, just and I'll throw a beat at it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>. right? <laughs> yeah. Because, like, you know, imagine if you were sick or something, yeah. and you're just specializing on growing beets, yeah. you would depend on a doctor. Otherwise, you'd yeah. be like, I don't know, just give him another beat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that will that yeah. will solve his yeah. rheumatoid arthritis. <laughs> I'm picturing that person like responding to the national budget and being like, there wasn't enough beet Beats? stimulus <laughs> in this budget. <laughs> We're going to need so many beets. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> I know beets. I know the best ones. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so you need to have a solidarity that's based on difference. And why does that correspond to Durkheim's label of social solidarity being organic? Primarily because the main example he gave was beet farming. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, primarily because he's trying to come up with analogy to describe the way that things can be different from one another but increasingly reliant upon one another. And a great example of that is, say, the way organs in a body work or the way an organism functions because the heart and the lungs and the liver are increasingly different specialized things. They have separate roles and they are nothing alike. If they had little consciousnesses, it wouldn't be very collective. They're focused on different things. However, they can't exist without one another. And this leads us actually to a segment we like to call Say What? <laughs> Where we look at a quote in need of further explanation. Durkheim writes, Each organ, in fact, has its special characteristics its autonomy, and yet the greater the unity of the organism, the more marked is the individuation of its parts. The heart relies on the lungs. The lungs rely on the kidneys. They all rely on one another, mm. but they do very different things. Yeah. yeah. And it's because they do very different things, which is why they are important to the overall system. Mm -hmm. So the question now becomes, how does Durkheim actually proposed to study the existence of these different forms of social solidarity. I think that's a really interesting part of this piece, actually, because in some ways he can't go and interview a bunch of people and ask, you know, what is it about their consciousness that makes them want to converse with others and work with others? So what he does is in typical Durkheim fashion, he looks for something objective he can study hmm. that is kind of represented by this, these different forms of solidarity. And the thing he looks at is the law. And he says there are different types of laws that exist in a certain society hmm. and that those types 
types of laws are formed around different types of solidarity. So for mechanical solidarity, based on a strong collective consciousness, based on everyone thinking and feeling the same way, he says this form of solidarity is represented or maybe even reinforced or produced by the criminal law, by laws mm. that are based on the principle that an act offends against everyone, against the collective consciousness of a group. And the punishment is that group kind of acting or punishing in some way. It's mm. something that creates a moment in which everyone's in agreement that someone's breached their principles and should be punished as a result. Mm. So there's different forms of punishment attached to different types of social solidarity. Mm -hmm. So he believes that the mechanical form of social solidarity has a tendency to have what he calls repressive forms of punishment, mm -hmm. whereas Organic forms of social solidarity are linked to restitutive forms of punishment. What is a repressive punishment? A repressive punishment was of the type I'm describing there, where it's someone being actually, you know, punished for doing the wrong thing. It's when someone is having someone taken away from them. They're put into a position where they're worse off because they've done a certain act. It's something that's punitive. It's a punishment that's done. Well, it, it arguably removes that person from the society. Yeah. It excises them. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense, right? Let's imagine you exist in a society where everyone kind of believes more or less the same thing. Yeah. That for And your experience of the world is very similar. If someone comes along and says, actually, I don't believe any of what you believe. I think it's rubbish. I think we need more than beats in our society. <laughs> beats are not the answer here, yeah. right? And we exist in a society where <laughs> like beats are exalted, okay? Mm. I would imagine that if I was this anti-beat person mm. in a beat society, they would probably want to kick me out. Yeah. And they'd kick you out because that would protect the collective consciousness. That's right. That reinforces that opinion that the one who's challenging that is removed. And it's interesting because Durkheim talks about the fact that if we think about criminal law, it either punishes people who, like that, challenge the, uh, the values of the collective consciousness, mm. or it punishes people who challenge the organs within which the collective consciousness is embedded or represented. Because mm. he talks about things like, you know, what about, you know, speeding fines or minor infractions, that sort of stuff. But that still is a challenge against the organs of the state. It's a challenge against these things that are the embodiment of the collective consciousness. In societies that are based on organic form of social solidarity, restitutive punishments come to the fore, according to Durkheim. What are restitutive forms of punishment? Restitutive forms of punishment, other than being a very difficult word for me to pronounce, <laughs> is a form of punishment that tries to correct a, a relationship that's changed. It's put, puts people back into the position they would have been in had the infraction not occurred. Yeah. So in contract law, for instance, what the main principle of contract law is that the parties are put back into the position had the breach of contract not occurred. Yeah. Or in torts, if someone's wronged by a tort, someone's put into the position as if they'd never been wronged. Yeah. And it should be noted here that the division of labor described by Durkheim is a process, not a state. Mm. It's continually intensifying. Modern societies continue to have higher and higher levels of specialization. Mm. And this is bound to produce some specializations that kind of don't have a place in society. If I wanted to create a beat that was yellow 
and that was shaped like a grape, I don't know if many people would want to buy that. <laughs> I feel like in Japan there could be a market for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always amazed by like the, the fruit sections in supermarkets in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm sure there are people in Japan that have tried mm. and failed mm. to produce certain items. Mm. They thought it was going to take off. Yeah. Now, are those people just kicked out of society? <laughs> no. They should be. <laughs> <laughs> no. Restitutive forms of punishment are more about rehabilitation. And in this discussion here, I want to note that Durkheim is already discussing a topic that's found in other works of his, which is the topic of anomie. Anomie describes the experience of normlessness, mm -hmm. of kind of being lost, and he associates it with the modern world and specifically with the increasing amount of division of labor there is. Mm -hmm. All right. So hopefully that's a pretty interesting thing for us to chew on intellectually. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a pretty interesting yeah. argument, isn't that's right. it? Yeah. He's trying to understand how modern societies don't simply fall apart. Hmm. However, it's interesting to note, though, that many criticisms have been lodged of this work. And more than that, there are some aspects of this work that weren't just criticized and left behind by the field of sociology by others. Durkheim himself, in some of his later works, just kind of forgot he wrote some of this stuff. <laughs> As the work of Pope and Johnson note in an article of theirs in the American Sociological Review, Durkheim actually abandoned his concept of organic forms of social solidarity. And why did he do that? It's because he realized that in the end, organic forms of social solidarity were still at some level based on a mechanical form of social mm -hmm. solidarity. Yeah. And I think if we think about those examples of solidarity being based on people interacting with one another and being more specialized in the relationships they have, mm. there still kind of has to be something behind that, some sort of ethos, some sort of willingness to interact that is not just about dependence. Yeah. I mean, what about trust? What about caring for people around you? What about these sort of things that underpin interactions? It can't just be that if I don't sell you my grain, then I'm not going to be able to buy bread. It has to be something else there as well. And that is something a bit more collective. Yeah. We all need to believe that difference can be appreciated. Yeah. Right? And if you don't have that, if you don't have that as a shared value, mm. then organic solidarity doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, in the end, it's still a mechanical form of social solidarity that underpins modern societies. Yeah. There have been other criticisms of this work as well. Like some people have argued that Durkheim's association of the modern world with restitutive forms of punishment and pre-modern societies with repressive forms of punishment is just factually wrong. Mm. You don't really need to look very hard to see why this might be the case. Like, look at the case of the U.S., which arguably engages in a lot of repressive forms of punishment, mm. even though there's an advanced division of labor in that society. Mm. Now, you might think then that we've mm. kind of wasted your time in discussing Durkheim's concept of organic solidarity, even though not many in the field of sociology continue to engage mm. with it in the contemporary era. But it should be noted that there have been attempts made in recent years mm. to revisit 
and to recover what this concept is meant to sensitize us to. And this speaks to the varied fortunes of theories in the field of sociology. Sometimes people think social theories come ready-made. They are these amazing understandings of the world we live in, and that sociologists just take those understandings and then apply them. But that's not quite what happens. When Durkheim produced this theory, he thought he was onto something. He later abandoned some aspects of this work. And people have continued to debate, discuss, revise, amend what this work actually says. And I think we should bear that in mind when we are coming across sociological theories. They aren't these things that are to be kept in glass cases. No, they're not, they're not static, are they? They develop and change over time. They get applied to new contexts. They provoke other thoughts. It's yeah. an ongoing process. Yeah, and it's probably <laughs> the same with this podcast. <laughs> you know? Yeah, maybe. We only get thousands of downloads now, you know, every month or so. But who knows? Maybe one day millions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll come back and overdub that and be like every, billions. every week. Billions, in fact. <laughs> billions. We don't know yeah. how many listeners we'll end up getting. All right. Well, on that note, I hope you're one of the billion listeners <laughs> listening to this podcast. We appreciate you. And we'll catch you in the next episode. <laughs> The Sociology of Everything podcast is created and hosted by Eric Sue and Louis Everest. It's produced and edited by Eric Sue, with special assistance from UniSA Online and UniSA Justice Society. To learn more about studying sociology and other programs online or in person at the University of South Australia, visit unisa.edu.au where you can search for more details. The Sociology of Everything podcast is primarily recorded on the lands of the Ghana people. The hosts of the podcast would like to pay their respects to elders past, present, and emerging. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more about the podcast, visit our website at sociologypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.